Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. Midwives, apart from whoever's there from your family, spend more time with a labouring woman than any other medical professional. They're monitoring not just one person, but two, the woman and the baby, often for long hours stretching into and through the night. Research has shown that continuity of care in a midwife practice can deliver the best outcomes for mother and child. Given they're such an important part of maternity care, I want to know, how are midwives faring? Hannah Darlin is a professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for having me. I guess the, the main question I have is whether or not midwives suffer from burnout. Yes, they do. And more and more research is actually emerging around a couple of things. I mean, compassion fatigue we call it, and that will often lead on to burnout. But there's also an increasing worry in some of the research that we're looking at at the moment where midwives seem to be at particular risk for secondary traumatic stress. Uh, And that's, that's, you know, partly due to the emotional cost of caring. You know, it's a very intense relationship that a midwife has with a woman. Uh, at a very intense and highly emotionally charged time. Um, and so we know we are knowing that that many midwives are feeling the burden of that emotion, but we also know there are some things that are increasing the risk. Um, and that is often lack of support. It's fear of litigation and it's witnessing of traumatic births that pile up and eventually have an impact on midwives. I'd come back to that secondary post-traumatic stress, but um, let's start with what a lot of people connect with when it comes to work, and that is pay. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into being a midwife that could cause them to burn out, but surely one part of our job satisfaction comes with how we're remunerated and how we're valued for the work that we do. What's the average wage for a midwife and do you think it's consummate with her experience and role in the birthing suite? Yeah, so that's a really good point and a good question. I've got to say most midwives don't go into this job to be rich and that's probably for a very good reason because you're not going to get rich. (laughs) Um, That's for sure. So look, midwives will be paid sort of anywhere from, depending on if you're a a new grad, depending on the shift. See, it's a very hard question to answer because Mm. if you're working lots of shifts or on call or if you're working in group practice, depending on the industrial arrangement for being on call for longer periods of time, you know, that'll range anywhere from, you know, around 60,000 to, you know, maybe if you're lucky, over 100,000. But but we're talking about, you know, um, a, a group of professionals who spend hours and hours and hours with women at a very emotional time, who are often on call for very long periods. And the difference between midwives and obstetricians who do this is the obstetrician tends to come kind of at the end of the day. So once the baby's ready to be born, the midwives do all of the kind of work and, you know, care during labour. And then the obstetrician gets called right at the end if a woman has a private obstetrician but when midwives provide continuity in particular they're doing 
the whole labour, which we all know can go anywhere from a couple of hours to, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 hours, and they're doing the birth, and then they're settling the mum and the baby together, and they're helping with the breastfeeding. So it's a very much longer, intense period of support, and yet they get paid, you know, a tenth of what obstetricians get paid. And you mentioned there, of course, labours can vary in time, but... Do midwives fall under those standard workplace conditions where, you know, you can only work an eight-hour shift or um, you can't do back-to-back eight-hour shifts? What kind of hours are they expected to work? So this all really depends on the uh, model of care they're working in. So, And these all vary from place to place. So if you're a privately practising midwife, something I did for, for about 10 years, you're pretty much on call 365 days a year. And you will sometimes, I think one of the longest labours that I went to and didn't have a break was 37 hours. And wow. that's really problematic. Of course, you had other people come in and relieve you so you could have a little lie down on the couch or, you know, go out to your car. These were mostly home births. Um, but in the hospital system, a shift can be anywhere from like 8 to 12 hours. But if you work as a caseload midwifery where you have a group of women, you provide the antenatal, the birth care and the postnatal, um, you may work longer than that, but you may pull in your midwifery partner so that someone else is making those decisions when you're really tired. But many midwives will also just really want to hang around to see the birth. Like there's nothing worse than a woman getting to fully dilate and pushing a baby out and your shift's ending. There's a lot of (laughs) midwives who will do it with no extra, you know, they'll do it free of charge. They'll basically hang around because they kind of, you know, you've gone through this amazing event with a woman. You you, want to see the kind of the final scene of the uh, unfolding play, let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. So given that this work is unpredictable in terms of hours, like when you'll work, particularly like you mentioned, if you're in private practice, how do midwives manage when they have their own family? Yes, and that's a really, a really important um, question. And in fact, I have a PhD student doing a lovely piece of work at the moment looking at caseload midwives. So those are these midwives who provide continuity right through the pregnancy, the birth and afterwards. And she's been looking at, you know, what is it that helps these models sustain? Like what are the things that, that keep midwives doing this long term? And it, it very much is also around the support you have at home. So if you've got a family that kind of is excited by what you do, that is that you have a good partner, you have kids who really understand it, you have good support around you, we know that those midwives can do this far longer. But the other thing that's important to remember is the majority of midwives are women. And women already in our society carry those complex um caring roles not only for their children and their family but often for you know aging parents the average age of a midwife now is in their late 40s um so there are multiple complexities this is a a a gendered issue uh this is a a status issue in society and i think we still don't truly value the the hard labor that midwives do alongside women You mentioned at the top of this interview about how um, researchers finding midwives are often getting almost secondary post-traumatic stress from traumatic births. In what we, we, you and I have often spoken about how having a continuity of care and having midwives 
in the room with a birthing mother can help make a birth the right kind of birth for the mum, you know, not traumatic. So where are we seeing those traumatic impacts happening for midwives? Are they in the public health system? Are you able to even say where it's happening? Yeah, well, we actually have some, um, you know, Australian research which um, shows that around 20%, you know, one-fifth of midwives who were surveyed met the criteria for a probable post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, that's pretty... That's pretty sort of scary. Um, other studies have shown that that could be anywhere between 20 and, and nearly 60%. Uh, the UK in particular has done a lot of work on this um, of late and that, that's really shockingly high. And the things that are coming out that are contributing to this is that midwives working in disjointed or fragmented care um, is actually very soul-destroying for midwives. It over kind of rides their their instinct to be with women, to provide really good care, to advocate for them, to, you know, make sure things turn out well. And we know that that we know more and more women are traumatised by the birth experience and then midwives are often witnesses and, and uh, a part of this, this experience and we know that that has a cumulative impact on midwives. Then you add the long shifts, you add the poor pay, you add you know, not being supported well by managers, and then you add concerns about litigation or being blamed. We know that, for example, younger midwives are more likely to be impacted if you're under 40 years compared to over 40 years, if you've had less than 10 years compared to longer. And, and really that's because probably you've worked out ways to become, you know, survive and be more resilient. We know that where it's really busy, uh, full-time work that you do as opposed to working in a part-time capacity, we actually know women midwives who work in continuity of care actually have less burnout than midwives who work all over the place. And we know that midwives who live alone and don't have good support at home uh, are much more likely to end up with this um, post-traumatic stress. So um, a very important uh, report was released on the 5th of May, which was the International Day of the Midwife, and it was called the, world's, um, the State of the World's Midwifery Report. And that showed some really interesting data. It's shown we're, we're essentially, um, the world needs essentially 900,000 more midwives if we are ever going to meet the needs of women. You were mentioning there some of the impacts um, on the mental health of midwives. And one thing that I have thought about that must affect midwives everywhere is when they need to help a woman labour through a stillbirth or when um, it's an unexpected stillbirth, I imagine that would have a huge impact on midwives working with that woman. Do we have automatic support for midwives if they go through that? Really important points. Uh, both, both of those are really important points. So, yes, caring for a woman who has lost a baby, um, whether it's, um, you know, a baby that's that's died during labour or a baby that's died, died prior to labour or a baby with abnormalities that have been diagnosed where they're now having to um, end the pregnancy. They're incredibly stressful. They're also, may I say, one of the most beautiful and rewarding moments of your life because you know if you do it well, if you're present, if you're genuine, if you're kind and compassionate, that you actually are the the person at the juncture where the potential for, for growth and, and 
and beauty sets in. So, so it is a double-edged sword, but yes, we need to make sure those midwives have support, they have debriefing. Um, we also know that there are some midwives that seem to really take to this a lot easier. The other thing that's important to know is that, and we've got, I've got two PhD students at the moment researching this. One is looking at midwives who have their own loss, who then go back to work and then care for women who've lost a baby. You've got to remember the majority of midwives are women and, you know, many of them have had miscarriages or their own loss. So that's a fascinating piece of research happening right now. The other piece of research that we're doing, which I have a PhD student doing, is how do midwives own births affect the way they care for women? Mm. And what choices do midwives know having been in the system and what are the choices a midwife makes for herself? And that in itself is also very, very fascinating. So do you find that um, those that have been through the experience actually may have more resilience to those that haven't had a loss of their own? I find that would be fascinating. I would almost think it'd be harder for them. Look, some leave midwifery and they never can go back because it's so painful. Uh, we found just, you know, preliminary, it's very early days yet, that midwives who go on to have another baby have, I guess, their arms full again and it ha they have a slightly different attitude in returning to provide care. We've had midwives who've become grief and loss midwives, literally turned their entire job into caring for women who've lost babies, but we've had midwives who can never go back into it again. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, that's for sure. Well, it's an incredible job and I have so much respect for the women who do it. Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for talking about midwives. That's Hannah Darlin, Professor of Midwifery at the University of Western Sydney. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.